Welcome to the SAEM Industry Advisory Council's podcast titled, So, you're interested in academics but wondering about community practice. Is there a middle ground? This is a podcast developed by SAM's Industry Advisory Council, the newly formed collaboration with staffing management leaders designed to increase the connection between SAM members working in industry and academia and to promote the society within the business sector. Thank you so much for signing up. This podcast will be accessible to all 6,700 plus members of SAM and will be of special interest to the more than 3,200 SAM residents and medical students. Residents and students rarely have the opportunity to chat one-on-one with staffing management thought leaders, and we want to bring your voice to all our trainees who are eager for career advice and mentorship. Joining us today, Dr. Nick Zenerosa, founder and chief medical officer of Integrative Emergency Services, Dr. Craig Meek, director of communications and external affairs with Leading Edge Medical Associates, and also co-director of the Lima Leadership Institute, Dr. Justin Carlson, National Director of Clinical Education with U.S. Acute Care Solutions, and Dr. Mike Limscomb, Chief Quality and Patient Safety Officer and Regional President of Apollo MD. And last but not least, we have Dr. Todd Schlesinger, Program Director, Residency in Emergency Medicine with Envision Physician Services. Thank you, everyone. Okay, let's begin. First question is for Dr. Zenerosa. For someone who might be looking for a job soon, what are the major advantages or disadvantages between working for an academic institution versus working for an EM group practice, and is there a hybrid option? Uh, Thank you, John. So truly an exciting time to be entering the job market in emergency medicine. Different models have various levels of different practice characteristics, and I don't necessarily think of them in terms of advantages and disadvantages. However, more so what may be considered an advantage now may be a disadvantage later in your career and vice versa. Academics seem to have more of a gradual transition from a resident mentality into an attending mentality. In academic practice, there's the possibility of tenure. There's probably greater liability protections. You will have more protected time. There's a possibility of loan forgiveness. You're more likely to stay current with evidence-based practices. You have the ability to work with residents, which I feel will prolong your clinical career. There's more resources for research. And the culture of the group probably focus more on education and research than operations. In a community or group practice, the cash compensation more likely will be higher. There's greater schedule flexibility. There's the opportunity potentially for profit sharing, partnership, or equity. You can establish your own individual practice style. You'll definitely do more procedures. Quite frankly, not anybody else to do them but you. Your free time truly can be free time. And the group culture will probably focus more on flow and things such as patient satisfaction. In a hybrid or blended model, the compensation for the clinician probably falls somewhere between a pure academic and a community-based practice. You'd still get to work with residents. You'll focus mainly on ops, but there'll also be a focus on education and research. There's the ability to remain current with evidence-based practices. You'd probably have greater schedule flexibility and the possibility for paid sabbatical like you would in an academic institution. And the group and the model can change over time 
and the focus may move more from operations initially into education or on research. Excellent. Thanks for getting us started, Dr. Zanarosa. This is kind of our base question, so we have time for a quick follow-up comment from one or two of our panelists. Anybody? Very good. Our next question is for Dr. Craig Meek. How can residents be more effective in determining if a non-traditional model is the right model for their individual needs? Well, John, I really appreciate you having me here. And I think this is a great question. And I think we need to start out, when you use the word hybrid jobs, there's different types of hybrid jobs. There's a lot of variety out there in the workplace. And for example, if you had a resident who really enjoyed teaching, but he also wanted that efficiency of a more community medicine ER, and he took a job in an academic institution at a hybrid job where he was moving patients next to the residents, he might be in a hybrid job, but there's another possibility he could take a job in a community ER where the resident's rotating through, where he gets a chance to teach, and he gets those efficiencies of a, of a community ER. Both of them are hybrid jobs, but vastly different satisfaction for him in his, in his work. So I think that the residents really need to take some time and do a little soul searching. They need to choose jobs the right way. I tend to see them choose what is familiar to them, and I would say you need to really look and see what you really want and what your career goals are. Your whole career, your whole life, you've chosen organizations, schools, fraternities, sporting clubs for the people around you. You wanted to be made better by the people around you. You wanted to work with people of like integrity. And then a lot of residents will come out and just look at metrics, cash, and never even meet the partners that they'll be partnering with. And I would ask the question deep down inside, have you changed? Is that not important to you? Or have you just not done the hard work to really go in and look at that job and meet those people that you'll be working with? So I think in summary, you know, there's not really a perfect job out there. There's a lot of variety in the hybrid models. And I don't think there's a perfect hybrid job, but I think you should take the time, do the soul searching, define who you are and what you really, really want to do and that's harder work than people think it is. Set some career goals and see if that job is going to get you where you need to be and get you with the uh, quality of life you want to work with. And I really appreciate the time. That must have been an outstanding answer because I saw some of the head nodding around the table. That was really, really good, Dr. Meese. Thank you so much. We have time for a follow-up question if anyone has any additional comments. So I would like to echo what Craig said about the personal assessment of where you are and where you want to be right now. But I think you also have to figure out a way to assess the potential group practice or department you're looking at also. And you know, some ways that I would suggest is ask to see their five-year plan or their strat plan and see where their focus is as a group or an organization. Is it really only on operations? Is it a blended practice like we've been discussing? You know, what percent are they focused on education? You know, is there a focus on research? And what resources are available? And to continue on with that same vein of thought, I would identify your doppelganger in that potential employer and try to project yourself five years down the road and then go talk to that doppelganger and see how fulfilled they are and if they start off in a similar place that you're starting off at. Outstanding comment. Do I have time for one more if anyone has anything? Can I just make one more comment on my comment? Is that okay? <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Is that kosher? That is good. Thank you. So I agree exactly what Dr. Zanarosa said. And also, it might be simple enough to go up and just shake their hand and see if they have the integrity. You choose partners like you do with a spouse. 
So they need to have your interest, your integrity, your characteristics that you want to emulate, like the doppelganger he's talking about. So a lot of it is just a pure assessment of the quality of the individuals that you're going to be working with. Excellent. Outstanding. So we're going to move on to the next question. Our next question is for Dr. Carlson. Much of our audience may be more familiar with the traditional academic structure within a university. Could you explain some of the other hybrid options that may exist in the community? Absolutely. Thanks, John. So I trained at a university-based residency program and really had a very limited understanding of the other types of academic structures that existed outside of the university-based model. There are many other models out there, and what I can say for us at USACS is that we have eight residency programs, and each is unique. One's a more traditional university model, while the others are community teaching hospitals. Some are trauma centers, some are quaternary referral centers, and some have multiple residencies and fellowship training programs, whereas others, such as my hospital, has emergency medicine and family medicine. What that means for my residents and faculty is they do everything. There's no cardiology fellow, no trauma team, it's you. And the ability to teach and practice with that autonomy is something that many folks find very attractive. One other aspect that's quite different is the career advancement path between the university setting and a community teaching hospital. The university model has a traditional rank and tenure pathway, whereas most community hospitals do not, but still have many opportunities, especially if the hospital is part of a larger group. There may be more traditional opportunities, such as becoming a medical director, assistant program director, or director of research. But there are also other opportunities, such as leadership training programs. And many of the larger EM groups offer additional training and resources for folks to advance their careers. Excellent. Great answer. Thank you. Follow-up comments from any of our panelists? I agree 100%. At Lima, we have a leadership development institute we've developed just to take those people who want to be leaders, but they might not have all the business skills and, and the things they need. And I think that there's many groups that have similar aspects of that. So there is a, a chance for advancement in the community-based world as well. Outstanding. Any other comments? Okay, very good. Our next question is for Dr. Limscombe. What do you look for in a new hire who may be interested in a non-traditional practice option? And is there any other advice that you'd like to offer to our resident and student listeners? Whether you practice in a traditional community setting, an academic center, or a hybrid that falls somewhere in between, clinical excellence is the ticket to entry. And while I trust that you'll be prepared academically, your first two years as an attending are really your time to hone your craft. Community practice and the hybrid sites by extension can be a landscape with high practice variability, resource challenges, and a constant flux. To that end, attitude will be one of the critical determinants of your eventual success. As one of the country's largest private independent groups, we pride ourselves on recruiting self-driven physicians with a heart to serve, the acumen to succeed, and the passion to be a truly aligned partner. Partnership requires being adaptive, listening and hearing patients and staff, understanding limitations, and ultimately building consensus. I often advise residents to cultivate the determination to turn failure into opportunity. Attendings that introspect and identify their own opportunities for success create a culture of openness that inspire that behavior in students, residents, and staff around them. When I think of some of our highly successful hybrid EM residency programs, Erlanger, Southeastern, and now Wellstar Kinestone, the culture of high reliability is something that we as attendings must nurture. 
Outside of hybrid programs, a number of community practices will have student and resident rotations that need faculty that have a commitment to mentorship. If this is a passion for you, then bring more than enthusiasm. Bring a fresh perspective, make dedicated time to participate or lead this at your site, and look for ways that you can be an advocate for teaching at your site. As you step in your life as an attending, trust in your training, but maintain the work ethic and habits that help you navigate medical school and residency. That's reading, journal clubs, phone, etc. Financially, many advisors recommend living like a resident for your first two years, and I would recommend extending that analogy to reading literature involvement with ASAP AAEM and with making time to learn. These investments will help with preparation for your board exams, but will also ensure that you create a balanced foundation to build your career upon. Outstanding. Very good. We have time for a follow-up comment from any of our other panelists. Okay, very good. Our next question is for Dr. Schlesinger. What do you think is the biggest challenge in delivering emergency medicine care today in the hybrid model? And how has this challenge developed over the course of your career? Thank you so much for having me. It's really an honor to be here. This is an especially relevant question because you have, in recent years, a lot of new programs being developed, especially out in the community, and also with the new accreditation system of the ACGME, you have about 40 previously osteopathic programs that are now within the ACGME. Those in general, too, are more community-based. So for your listeners, for the SAM members out there, there's so many more job opportunities out there that sort of fall into this hybrid model, as we're saying. For me, as a residency program director, the biggest challenge in the hybrid is to manage the expectations on both sides. You know, you want to make sure, obviously, your primary job is to educate the residents and make them love emergency medicine. At the same time, especially when working in a community, and for us, we work at an HCA hospital, which is very focused on metrics, you have to ensure that having all these new residents and while you're doing the teaching and learning, that's not going to impact your metrics, your flow, your patient satisfaction. And the way we approach this, I'm going to describe a little bit, I think has been a successful model. You know, you asked how I did it over the course of a career. I've only been doing this and this model for about three years, and we've learned a lot. You know, so first I just want to talk about the training aspect. You know, training emergency physicians, I think, is uniquely challenging just because we have to know so much. We really have to know all of medicine. You know, if you look at the AVEM model of practice, I think there are 19 different subsections. Um, then you have all the ACGME requirements on top of that, and then we have to talk about all the new things like, you know, wellness and ensure everything else. So in a new program like ours, which, as I said, we started in 2016, you know, we want to be very committed to a modern educational approach, right? Everyone now likes asynchronous learning, and they like foam, and they like to flip classrooms, do simulation, and do small groups. And, you know, we've been trying to do that. The issue, I think, when you take those models of education is those are really good for teaching individual topics. And we have, like, thousands of topics to learn. So you can't, like, small groups every single thing you're going to learn in emergency medicine. So I think what we found successful is we did a lot of sort of outside reading and preparation. So basically the residents work a little less than a traditional place, but they're expected to do a lot of homework, really. A lot of reading, um, a lot of preparing so that when they come for their you know, lectures and things like that, they're doing a little more small groups. And in fact, they're probably doing more of the lectures. The faculty really is there to do the sims and the small groups. And doing that's really fun. And, and the reason why I mention all this stuff about education seems a little off topic, but as an educator, 
when you go into a residency program, you know, it's tough as a, if you're going to this faculty to write a lot of lectures. You know, and you're like, oh, how many do I have to do? And maybe one a month. And that's why I think traditionally in some of the older places, you don't see as much faculty coming to conference. And in our place, everyone who's not working comes to conference and they enjoy it. And it really fosters that spirit of like family that one of the previous speakers talked about and makes it for a really great job experience. Now, in terms of the other side, you are in a you know, corporate place, usually for profit. Definitely in our place, that's true. There's incentive bonuses on metrics. And you know, how do you teach in a place like that? And I'd say the answer is really maintaining excellent communication with your hospital administration folks and also on the operational side. Like we have a busy 70,000 ED visit ED. And so the challenge was when I first got there and I only have one class of residents, are they going to slow things down, right? First year residents, of course they're going to slow things down. You know, the CEO doesn't want to hear anything but slowing it down. So how do you do that? And so where we found some success, and I think some of the other places are doing this, is that our first-year residents, we front-loaded a lot of their off-service rotations. They were only in the ED about three, three and a half months. And since they don't see a lot, they really only saw 10 to 15% of the patients, which means their overall effect on metrics and flow is honestly really little. So the CEOs and those types really have nothing to worry about. Then when we had second years, without third years, it was a little tough. You know, they're better. They saw another 30% additional patients, so now you had about 40% by residents. And so that second year, we probably took a little dip, which at least I told them to expect. But now in our third year, when we have full complement of PGY3s, and they're doing like nine months in the emergency department, now 85% of our patients are getting seen and touched by um, residents. And, you know, you think, wow, how do you do that? How do you keep it in a way that's going to maintain that? I'd say the easiest thing that's obvious is I just added 96 hours of extra coverage in our ED on top of what existed. So just from a very basic point of view, how can that not keep your metrics good? It gets you more patient touches, which is better for patient satisfaction. We talk about that. What we don't do is we don't do a traditional model where an intern tells the third year who then tells the attending what's going on. You know, a lot of this stuff is done in parallel. And so really putting it together, what happens in this model is you can find a way to teach resident how to love emergency medicine, how to teach it well. When the faculty get a lot of support, we need administration to give a good framework. But then at the same time, we have it to the residency, all the metrics, all the data, everything the attendings get. So they see real life stuff. So as they're learning emergency medicine, they're also learning real life. And they know what's expected of them by a boss, what's expected of them by administration, what's important to hospitals. And I think this is really where the future has to be. 90% of residents go into community practice. I think teaching in a community setting, but bringing that love of academics is really the perfect blend. Administration in general should support this because they understand that when you train them well, you'll keep these really well-trained people that know your system, they'll want to stay. They don't have to spend money on recruiting and they know they're going to maintain good quality. So for me, I think this hybrid model is really the best of both worlds and it offers really great training experience for the residents and also for the faculty that are teaching. Dr. Schlesinger, thank you so much. Any follow-up comments? Yeah. Can I make a comment? Sure. I completely agree with Dr. Schlesinger. I think in addition to balancing the impact of the residents' presence on your ED operations with predominant focus on flow, it also becomes more challenging because the people who work clinical attendings in a community practice now have to be educators also. And I think they are challenged sometimes to make a transition from providing direct patient care to a more supervisory level and to ensuring that the overall care of the patient is 
balanced with the education of the rest. Excellent. Outstanding. You know, we still have a couple of minutes. Anyone have any other final comments? Dr. Me? Yeah, we've got some really smart people in this room, and I don't want to be too verbose to say, but I want to give my opinion. You asked two questions ago, what do you look for in a new hire? And I just thought about it and kind of would like to hear what the people in the room are actually looking for. And I'll tell you personally, I look for three things, and our group looks for three things. Number one is humility. Number two is a lifelong desire to learn. And number three is work ethic. And so I think the residents should kind of know what the employers out there are looking for. We have some really big employers in here. So I'm just curious what they think. Yeah, I agree exactly with what you said. I think that for me, the biggest thing is you want people to love their craft. You know, that's what I want to teach, but you want people who love emergency medicine, love to go to work, love to take care of patients, not that passion for the field. And you want hard workers that are going to come to work on time, be professional, and people you can get along with and be part of like a work family. All right. Outstanding. Well, SAM would like to thank our panelists for participating in this podcast. The information discussed will prove invaluable to our members and look forward to seeing you guys on some future podcasts. Thank you. Thank you.